Welcome to the Rogues on the Road podcast, where we talk food, beverage, travel, and everything in between. Welcome to Rogues on the Road. We talk food, travel, adventure, everything in between, and this week is definitely a little in between. <laughs> this is Rich. Uh, I am Matt, and we've got uh, Rocio here, our spiritual guru advisor, and we have a very special guest, uh, Maggie Howell. We are at the Wolf Conservation Center in South Salem, New York. Uh, which is very exciting. We just completed a tour of the entire kind of place. Um, but welcome, Maggie. Thank you. I do have to ask, your last name is Hal. So did you did you choose your occupation dependent <laughs> on your last name? I think it chose me. Okay, perfect. There you go. <laughs> well, um, thank you for having us here. Um, and the tour that we had obviously spawned a few questions. My first initial thing is that there was a, there's a lot going on here. And it's, you know, if you go onto your website and you go and you see the mission statement, it's pretty simple. Um, but there's a lot going on. So how did, how did this all get started and how did everything kind of evolve? Sure. So um, it's actually our 20th year um, this year. Wow. And uh, it really started with... Um, a woman's dream. Uh, she's actually, her name is Alain Grimaud. She is our founder and uh, she's a professional, uh, world renowned classical pianist of all things. Oh, wow. wow. And uh, but wolves are very musical, so yep. I guess that makes sense. Um, but she pretty much took a, a hiatus from her career early on because she had a dream of opening up an educational, uh, environmental educational facility, but using wolves to really deliver this message. And um, she had an interaction with a captive wolf uh, prior to, to opening um, the Wolf Center or founding it. And um, it, this experience that she had really resonated and inspired her really to, to create what we have here today. Well, how long did it take to get actually like from <laughs> initial cause? Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is my lifelong yeah. dream. I am going to open up a wolf uh, center. Now I need to find the wolf. Uh, yeah, need to find some wolves. <laughs> well, Alain is a, a pretty unique person. Sounds like and it. And when she puts her mind to something, I think she can get it done. Wow. And so uh, she had the help uh, of our co-founder, who is a um, professional photographer and environmentalist named Henry J. Fair, and also a group of very dedicated volunteers and it was 100% volunteer and really wow. built this place, you know, raised the appropriate amount of money they needed to build the enclosures. Uh, soon after uh, being incorporated as a nonprofit, we, became, we got uh, accepted in the Species Survival Plan, so two recovery wow. programs for critically endangered wolves where we house them. And it's just been Amazing. growing quickly wow. ever since. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, go go I was going to ask, um, are wolves native to the northeast? Typically? Yeah, you know, it's, it's still up for debate what kind of wolves. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, we did have wolves in the Northeast. And we still do have wolves in the Northeast just across the border, though. Okay. Um, so that's in Canada. Uh, but there have not, there's no viable wolf population right now. Right. Um, however, there is evidence that wolves have tried to recolonize oh, into the area from Canada. Unfortunately, it always comes in the form of 
uh, dead wolves. And right. that's because of coyote hunting and right, right, wolves right. and coyotes are so closely related. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They get taken uh, mistakenly. Oh, so that's actually been confirmed by DEC that mm-hmm. that hunters have taken wolves thinking they were coyotes. There were a few instances, yeah. Uh, there was one in Vermont, uh, gosh, huh. early 2000s. Um, there was some in New York, but everyone's so, so wolves are protected. Wolves are protected um, uh, by the Federal Endangered Species Act. Okay. Also, the New York Endangered Species Act. Here, there are some states um, where wolves have been delisted. Okay. Uh, in the lower 48 and in Alaska, um, they're not protected. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to see what you thought about this. That was one of the questions I had and I haven't had, you know, it's like, is hunting allowed? Is it not allowed? And what you're saying seems to ring true. And, uh, in Minnesota, I guess this past June, it, they almost passed a, a, a hunt for it. Um, but it didn't pass. Um, and it's a little sad because you see, as a hunter, I, I just, I, I personally can't take, I couldn't do something like that because I'm not going to eat it. And mm. so, you know, I hunt it, right? right, right. And, uh, but if you see some of the, if you see some of the comments, it's a little sad to, you know, wolves, I think are almost like bald eagles. They are as yes. they're so representative of, of strength and perseverance and nature nature right. you mm-hmm. know and community yeah and um but this was so the wolf the wolf or the wildlife uh was a wildlife center in minnesota uh they have a pack of wolves mm-hmm. and they this is in uh, Par- uh lake park minnesota and they and she commented i wanted to play this she commented on this recent wolf hunt from that perspective and just have a listen in minnesota we certainly can handle a wolf hunt the scientists in charge at the dnr have all the expertise necessary a hunt is simply a harvest of surplus populations this is not something to be afraid of it's something that can the wolf population has demonstrated through 38 years of of control lethal control in livestock loss situations that they certainly can withstand a regulated take so it's really not new it's just the process will be new and what's that process going to be? I don't know. I mean, a little more research into it. It was it was um, it was a, a lot of farmers dealing with it. So there is. Yeah, and I know who that is. Oh. Um, <laughs> she's my cousin. Um, no, she's not. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but notice the language she was using. Right. Take. Yeah. Is, what what does that mean? And surplus. And surplus. Right. And the question isn't. If wolves are hunted, are they going to be endangered necessarily? But why are we hunting wolves? What is the reason? What's going to justify killing these animals? And I think that's something that is an important question. Absolutely. Why has the population diminished over the years due to human beings and overpopulation? Yeah, so, you know, historically, we used to have wolves, you know, pretty much throughout the United States. Um, They're a very resilient uh, predator. Uh, pretty much living anywhere in the northern hemisphere on the planet um, at some time or another. Um, but it's really through federal uh, campaigns to get rid of predators, um, probably without the understanding of the ecological value that right. they had. Um, you know, our country got rid of 
coyotes, mountain lions, yeah. wolves. Uh, and with wolves, by the time we reach the 1950s, we're down to just one small population in the lower 48. And oh. that was in Minnesota. The one place they never disappeared. So that, that's the right. basketball team. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so it was in 1973 with the passage of the Endangered Species Act that people were no longer allowed to kill the wolves. And we had a chance to protect the wolves. And that population in Minnesota had a chance to grow. And one thing that wolves have going for them is that they can actually build their populations relatively quickly. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so wolves in Wisconsin, Michigan have reached um, much healthier numbers. And then in other areas of our country, we actually took wolves from one place and then put them back into the wild. And uh, that's what we did in 1995 and 1996 with Yellowstone National Park in central Idaho, mm -hmm. where wolves were taken uh, just across the border from British Columbia and brought down and released in those two places. And today we have wolves in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, uh, Oregon, Washington. Oh. And it was in 2011 that California oh, uh, wow. got okay. its first wolf after like 84 years of being... By, by reintroduction mm -hmm. or nope, just, just moving, from moving in? Moving Oregon. in, spreading out, cool. reestablishing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and then the other things that we're doing is we have some populations that were uh, extinct in the wild. Wow. So the only individuals of those species that remained were in captivity. And what were some of and those? And those were the Mexican gray wolves and the red wolves. They're both declared extinct in the wild at different times. And for the red wolf, actually 32 years ago on Saturday, so the 14th, um, that's the 32nd anniversary since they're first release of uh, red, red wolves, wolves back into the wow. wild from wow. captivity. And how's that population? It's um, That population has actually done quite well in the past um, due to just some political um, issues and mismanagement and mm. neglect. Uh, they're down to an all-time low of just 14 known red wolves remaining in the wild. Oh, wow. uh, they and reached between 130 and 150 not that long ago. Oh, wow, that's great. And where, so are, they, where are they located now? They're in 14? North Carolina, um, close to the Outer Banks, oh, five-county oh. recovery area called Alligator uh, River Natural Wildlife Refuge. Oh. Wow. And is it because of breeding habits or a combination of different things, mismanagement? You know, uh, misman it's mismanagement, people. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, the red wolf was really the first instance of taking uh, a, uh, a wolf and reintroducing it into the wild. So it was really the pilot program that then helped guide decisions for the Yellowstone reintroduction and also the Mexican wolf reintroduction, which is similar, where they took animals from captivity but into the wild of the southwest. And, um, and during their time there, uh, coyotes actually started moving to the east. As you know, we have... Right. Coyotes pretty much everywhere. Yeah. When I talk about resilient <laughs> creatures, coyotes everywhere. win. Yeah. They are just, I, I'm just fascinated by coyotes. Yeah. And they were, they um, were, The population of coyotes was in bad shape at one time? Um, no, they were the, just... Moved, not moving around. The, with coy it's a whole different conversation, Is but it? with coyotes, yeah. the more um, kind of indiscriminate killing of coyotes, the more they grow. Oh, wow. The population. So, Amazing. Um, it's like Phragmites. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but uh, they actually had to figure out and adapt to how to, to recover and manage this red wolf population 
um, with suddenly coyotes moving in and there is shared ancestry between coyotes and red wolves. Uh, how do they pre- uh, prevent inbreed you know, right. or, or right. hybridization? Um, so they actually uh, started a, a coyote placeholder concept, which is really a sterilization program where they take coyotes uh, that were uh, fringing red wolf territory, sterilize them, put them back in the wild, and the coyotes would defend their territory, maintain their territory, oh, wow. but not pose a threat to the gene pool. Um, and, and was that successful? It was successful. Oh, wow. Um, unfortunately, it was in 19, uh, uh, it was following a lawsuit, basically, uh, because wolves and coyotes are living in the same area. People hunt coyotes and wolves are a critically right, endangered right, species. Right. Uh, there was a uh, proposal to allow the hunting of coyotes at nighttime. And um, a lot of organizations believe that was going to be a violation of the Endangered Species Act. They filed a lawsuit and really, that's where the political pushback um, kind of made everything blow up. And uh, in 2014, uh, they basically stopped all management of red wolves to reassess, and uh, they haven't done really much there since. And that's why we see a population so low today. Wow. And w- here at the center, you are raising... You, you, you've got a couple of things going on here that we noticed, right? So how many breeds of wolf are there and how many different breeds do you have here? Um, so we have, first at the Wolf Center, we have 50 wolves, um, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and three of them are, I would just call them generic gray wolves. Uh, they were bred in captivity for oh. educational purposes. Mm-hmm. So they're going to call the Wolf Center home for the rest of their lives okay. where they're going to help really forge a connection between our visitors and their wild kin. Uh, so they're really teachers, and they do a great job at they, it. I can attest to that. They, When I was a teacher, uh, Atka. Uh, these are the ambassadors. These are the ambassadors. Okay. He, he joined us at our school, and I've oh, never, to this day, I've never seen an audience um, co- come to full attention respect on an almost unspoken again spiritual level there was just when you walk down and that chain was around his neck it was just magical so i mean just doing that is so powerful it's such a powerful teaching tool yeah atka was one of a kind um i mean when i first started working here and i saw the way he behaved around people and how he wanted to travel and and be around i mean i i I thought he was the weirdest wolf I've ever met. (laughs) Um, And he probably is, but he's also the most marvelous wolf because he touched so many people. And not physically, but just that experience. And it's not even the people that even saw him when they visited the Wolf Center, maybe when he was in the auditorium of their school. We have people from all over the country still today reaching out to us saying how Atka changed their lives and they never even met him. That's awesome. Yeah, That's yeah I mean, we gave... <laughs> a teacher. He is. Yeah, we, right. gave, we gave for his 15th birthday, we gave him a, an email address. Uh, oh, we yeah. figured, you know, <laughs> he's responsible. He's a teenager. Yeah, yeah. He's all, uh, pa- he's all yeah. pause. <laughs> and, um, and first, he's received emails from every continent. Wow. Um, wow. Including Greenland. Wow. Uh, and, and Antarctica. Not Greenland. Antarctica, sorry. And, um, and he... He, uh, 
They're the best emails ever. Because cool. who likes email? You know, emails it, are a drag. I imagine it's like a camp. Like, like oh my God. Hey, Akka, hope you're doing well. I'm in Antarctica <laughs> conducting research. You know, exactly. I had a taco for lunch. Did you have a whole, you know, side of deer? <laughs> <laughs> Mailbox nearly filled. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, it's, it's, they're just these pure, they're, they're not asking anything of yeah. him. They're just sharing or thanking him or talking. I mean, it, they're just, Amazing. they're beautiful notes. And we still get them. People, even though he passed away uh, September last year, um, people just every once in a while will e- reach out to Atka to let him know that they're thinking oh, about him cool. or how much they love him or they just learned he passed away and they so- you know they're sorry or what have you. He lived a good age. Uh, yes, he was sixteen and a half when he passed away, and he passed away in his sleep. I mean, it, that's, it, oh, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he, it's. Was his time. We still miss him, yeah, <laughs> but, sure. but we, there's nothing tragic right, about right, it. Right, it's right. he lived a, a good and unique, weird, special life. That's great <laughs> for a wolf. That's great, and he was a gray wolf. Yeah. So Atka was a great. So basically, um, we have uh, and it's wolf uh, taxonomy is a tricky yeah, topic, yeah. and it's an active, ongoing debate. Right. But um, it's generally accepted that we have two different species of wolf, uh, the gray wolf and the red wolf. Okay. And, um, and the gray wolf, uh, there's different subspecies of wolves, so just different kinds, basically based on geography and what right. they're adapted to. So the northernmost wolf would be the Arctic wolf, living okay. in the high Arctic. That's what Atka was. Okay. They're white mm. in color. They're really built to, with, I mean, they live in the darkness. For yeah, most right, of the right, yeah, they're right. amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, just incredible. Uh, and then we have um, the Rocky Mountain or Canadian gray wolf. Those are the wolves you have mostly in uh, Western Canada and also like Yellowstone and uh, the Western Rocky Mountain states. Um, we have the Great Plains wolf, which is more of the Minnesota population. Um, we have the Mexican gray wolf, which is the southernmost gray wolf. And right now they're as, uh, they're as south as Mexico and living in Arizona and New Mexico, but mm. they're critically endangered. Mm. Um, mm. And then uh, the eastern wolf, which is now called the Algonquin wolf, very recently uh, Canada changed the name. Um, they are kind of a tricky one where uh, the most recent kind of genetic science is indicating they're probably distinct or unique species, probably more closely related to the red wolf. Wow. Um, I would have thought... I would have thought a gray wolf. Yeah, right, right. so it's, it's and again, all of these animals, they can't interbreed. They can produce viable young. So it gets very complex. Messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, you're, when you're thinking yeah. of like the, the, the great little boxes that we want to put right. different right. species into. Um, the red wolf is, uh, is a unique species. The only place it's ever lived here is in North Carolina, unlike the gray wolf, which is really a global right. uh, canid. And, um, and here at the Wolf Center, we do have those three ambassadors that are gray. We have 20 red wolves um, that we house. We raise awareness for them. We do very carefully managed captive breeding to breed uh, uh, genetic health. Um, uh, you have to explain how that works. Yeah, and same thing with the Mexican wolf. We have uh, 27 uh, Mexican wolves, and basically uh, where we're going to be housing them, you know, collaborating with state and federal agencies for both of them, making recommendations for release if they're doing active releases. And, um, and basically for the red wolf and Mexican wolf, um, because both of them went extinct in the wild at one time, um, their founding populations are very low. 
Uh, all red wolves have a founding population of just 14 individuals. Uh, For the Mexican wolf, it's just seven. So uh, when we're looking for any sort of recovery or management decisions, whether it's who's going to breed with whom, who's going to be released, what have you, genetics is really going to be governing uh, most of those decisions, but then also age, health, you know, behavior, things like that come uh, into play as well. And um, so uh, when it comes to breeding season, uh, our curator, uh, she actually is on the management group for both of these uh, species survival plan uh, groups for, this, for both species of wolves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and every summer they get together and they do a lot of matchmaking. And so they, uh, we do have <laughs> software that will tell us and like a stud book um, that can tell us like who's the relatedness yep. of all the wolves. Yep. Um, and it's, and, I mean, even like if you try to do a family tree, it's... It's very similar to horse breeding. Probably, Where you get, yeah. you actually are given, you have a stud book yeah. Yeah. and you can go through the genetics and match up the best possible breeds. N- yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, so, I didn't realize it was that complex. Yeah. So we're looking for um, really breeding pairs that have the lowest inbreeding coefficient. Right. And, um, and also we're looking at also the captive gene pool, the wild gene pool, because we really want to augment the gene pool in the wild. Right. right. Right now, the captive gene pool for Mexican wolves is more diverse, a little bit more healthy than the ones in the wild. And that's why we're really encouraging uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife to uh, increase the amount of uh, releases from captivity into the wild to really augment right. uh, and rescue yeah. that gene pool. And wolves are pack animals, correct? Yep. So when you release, do you release a pack? We've done a little bit of everything. So uh, the first uh, release that we've done from our facility was in 2006. And uh, basically, we had uh, a female. Her name was F838. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. AKA Maggie. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and she uh, was uh, selected to uh, be released. And so what we did is we caught her, and then we flew her out to a pre-release facility that's managed by U.S. Fish and Wildlife in New Mexico called Civietta. And at this facility, which uh, they house, you know, a number of wolves, but them to get a little bit more acclimated to the area, uh, she was introduced to a boy wolf there that came from a different uh, facility. Um, They had two pups. Oh, Oh, wow. And then on July 6th, when the pups were about 12 weeks old, um, they scooped up the family, and um, they took them to Arizona uh, and basically they put there just like those kennels, mm-hmm. um, or the very kennels. Um, they had the pups in one, the male in one, and the female in one. They put all the kennels in this soft mesh pen, and then they opened the kennels and just kind of went away and observed so far away. Uh, a, and it's called a soft release, and the wolves oh. have to kind of release themselves. Right. So sometimes it's Amazing. fast, sometimes it's not. Uh, the, this family pretty much got out immediately, and um, which I love is almost like they're just yeah, hungry. Right. Let's for that. go. Yeah. 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 And are they chipped so you can track yep. them? So that both adults had collars, either GPS or radio collars are used. Okay. Uh, they were all microchipped so they could be identified, um, but not tracked right, via right, the right. chip. And, um, and I still just get goosebumps when I think about just that moment when they realize yeah. like, wait, I'm free. There's no yeah. fence anymore. There's no, yeah. there's you no, know? no there is. Do. There is. Just keep, keep, keep going. <laughs> keep going. So, and, and the best thing is, you know, we were, and this is, again, a long time ago. It was 2006. But I remember when we got a call from U.S. Fish and Wildlife about 
you know, the first like elk they took down and we're just like, oh, we're just so proud. <laughs> <laughs> like, they oh. graduated. Like she's never but even that's, seen one before. But that's what, I mean, that's got it. That is why you're here. This right. is, mm-hmm. this is why you do what you do. Right. And to, you know, the fact that they would even leave to go to, or they leave here, they go to fish and wildlife, they meet a mate. You hope that that happens. That's, you know, just mm-hmm. getting there and doing that. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. having pups. That's like another win. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then and then them. releasing the entire family yeah. and you're like, oh, 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 good luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, are, are they going to, are they get, are the instincts going to kick in? Mm-hmm. And when you hear like, you know, they took down an elk, I, those instincts, they, they're there. They come in. That's got to, yeah. that's got to feel like, yes. What's oh, a, what's what's a wolf's like predator? Yeah. Hmm? Oh, yeah. predator? Um, people are the biggest predator. Um, otherwise, they're on the top of the food chain. Okay. However, they do have competitors. Right. So wolves will compete uh, for prey or territory yeah, yeah, yeah. with, you know, grizzlies, right. mountain lions to a degree, coyotes to a yeah. degree. Uh, their biggest competitor is probably other wolves, though. Okay. So wolves, they're, they're really going to be um, in their family groups or pack. But really, it's just mom, dad. Pups of the year. Maybe they have one or two that's unrelated. You know, every family is different. Right. Um, but that's that's how they operate. So they really, ba- they're, you know, they're, it's all based on cooperative living. Yeah. So, and what's really interesting about it, um, when you just think about the similarities between people and wolves, you know, um, they have their own family traditions. Right, right, right. Um, we've been really lucky that we've had a number of multi-generational packs here at the Wolf Center and, um, you know, when we are Mexican wolves and red wolves, and especially the ones that are candidates for release, we don't, they're nothing like our ambassadors where they're definitely not going to a school or anything like yeah, that. Right, right. Um, they're off exhibit. No one gets to see them. I never see them. Uh, we rely on webcams for the most part and, uh, to and monitor them. Your webcams here are phenomenal. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And you yeah. have them. <laughs> yeah. So our school, you, you do an adoption um, organization mm-hmm. thing and uh the school i work in actually adopt a different wolf each year and our classrooms get together and they watch the wolves that they've adopted and others and it's fantastic oh that's yeah. so yeah. cool yeah. And, yeah. Cu- and kudos to you for putting actual like there's so many webcams out there that are low hd you know those cameras are re- they're really good they're really good. So yeah, good. I have because I, I have no understanding of the pressure that puts on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's a big deal. We hired a tech guy, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, what are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but these webcams we see when when you have mom and dad, and there might be pups that are like a year old, and then they have new pups come in. You see how mom or dad might tap one of the yearlings, like you're the babysitter, really? and you're going to do the yeah. So they teach them how to raise their pups, you know, their hunting skills, or even certain um, skill, like certain, I guess, uh, tactics. Um, You'll find they're unique to a specific pack, and that's passed down for generations, for decades. So it's amazing to see just how how similar they are. And even the fact that they're territorial and, you know, most of their warfare is with other wolves. Um, the same way it's with a people, you right, know, right, here right. we are trying to protect our, right. our turf and our, our like gangs almost. Yeah. And it's the same thing with wolves. So it's really, that's really what we're trying to get people to understand. So they could be large packs. Yeah. Usually they're not, it really depends on uh, the prey Good question. available, Thanks. um, in a lot of ways. Uh, for example, uh, in the Arctic where the prey density is low, 
Um, they tend to have smaller packs, okay. smaller litters, um, where there's a lot of food and the prey density is going to be higher. They might have a lot more. In Yellowstone, for example, when they introduced uh, the first wolves, um, there had been no wolves there for 80 years. And so you can imagine how many elk and deer yeah, right. there were. I mean, there was really right. no major... The coyote was the major predator at that time. And um, so when the wolves got there, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> and so they were actually... <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're all yeah. fat and yeah, yeah, retired. Yeah. No, <laughs> it really... But the yeah. scientists that were watching really were amazed at some of the things they saw because it was unexpected. And uh, first of all, the deer or the elk were a bit naive. Uh, it didn't take them long to, to realize uh, yeah, that wolves... Watch your back. Yeah, yeah. they'd forgotten. Yeah. They hadn't passed that information <laughs> down. Um, but uh, because there was so much food available, they, they kind of formed these, uh, these kind of mega packs oh where God. they had packs that were really large with multiple breeding pairs. Mm. And they didn't really have to, to really compete with one mm. another because there was, there was so enough much for around. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and what was a large, what's a large pack? Oh, I don't even remember what the largest was. I think it was over 20. Wow. Um, could be. I don't even remember. Maybe closer yeah. to 30. But, um, but they're complex. <laughs> I would not want to no. be that elk. No. Yeah, they're complex packs, and they tend not to be uh, last long. So right. normally they're kind of kind of break apart, and that's what happened there right, too. Right, right. Um, but it was a pretty unnatural setting at first because, yeah. again, no claim territory. Yeah. It was all free pickings yeah. and a lot of food. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting to see what happened. And that's not, you know, the norm. Um, once things started to settle down, they brought the prey population down. Um, the wolves started forming their own families, their own territories, and now it's a little bit more of what they're seeing in other places. And so I'm guessing they're not fussy eaters. Um, no, <laughs> they just don't like geese. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, they tend. You know, wolves will have a really varied diet. Um, you know, it really depends on what the large. Normally, it's going to be uh, uh, some sort of ungulate. Um, so a large animal to feed the re- the whole the whole family. Right. So in Yellowstone, it's mostly elk, also bison, um, which are harder, uh, as you mm. can imagine, to yeah, take true. down. Uh, and much higher chance of a wolf getting injured taking down mm-hmm. a bison. So and sick old bison. Yep. Time but to go. Even <laughs> thinking back of those family traditions, there are these certain family groups that have kind of figured out how to do best with the bison. Yeah. Interesting. So and you know normally you know the bison. Uh, you know, the wolves might go to a different place where the elk are going to go. Right. But there's uh, one family t- uh, for years that stayed in this one valley that really bison were the only, the primary food source, yeah. and they tended to be bigger wolves. Um, they're the Molly's pack, um, and I was always fascinated with them because I was like, wow, how can you guys take down Yeah, bison? take down a bison. And, of course, you know, as a winter, you know, wolves are winter creatures because elk, deer... Um, bison, it's harder for them to get food in the yeah. winter time. They're using a lot of their energy trying to get under that snow to yeah, look right. for whatever yeah, they yeah, can yeah. find. Uh, and that's when wolves, you know, come alive. Yeah, they're going to be, you know, swift. They're fully prepared for the cold yeah. with that big, heavy two layers of their coat. Um, they can do, they can do the, this particular pack can do a perfect bison call, by the way, early <laughs> in the morning. So just. Probably. Yeah, yeah, they've got it. (laughs) YouTube it. (laughs) Yeah. But they're just so well adapted to that that environment. um, So it's a little bit easier for them. And how do you deal with feeding your wolves here? So um, our ambassador wolves, uh, Zephyr, Aleoa, and Nakai, 
Um, they have a very flexible menu because they never have to understand um, what appropriate food is. Right. Um, so we have um, they, we have so many donations from Whole Foods. Anything yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. That's amazing. amazing. That's it's, amazing. It's, I, I wish I could afford it. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like anything that's dented or maybe just like a, a couple days like past due date. I mean, they so just they're eating filet mignon probably. Oh, and, and like prime rib. and more. I mean, from it's it's ridiculous, and um, and uh, so they get that. I mean, they also get other things as well. But some of the weird things they've gotten, um, they got octopus, <laughs> uh, <laughs> recently, or maybe it was like a year ago. Popo and uh, and Zephyr and Alewa, who are the two of the kind of the older, not old, but they're just the older siblings of their little brother. Um, they just it was almost like they're eating an oyster, like. And the, yeah. and the octopus was gone. Yeah. They, all, they each got one. Damn, not and fussy. their little brother, <laughs> you didn't, they weren't got cooked. The they octopus. were they were like the raw kind of. Yeah, the little brother got the octopus, and he was a little bit more fussy, but he decided it was a better toy. Than, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was I tossing agree. it up in the air, and there's legs flying. Everywhere. I, agree I mean, with it was. Do you sit like do you you sit with the veterinarians or the you know the keepers and like should we give them an octopus or is it like do, is there. You know, like... Well, for me, it was hard because I think that the octopus is one of the most fascinating animals. They're also one of... They're they're so tasty. It's one of my favorite foods. I've never tried. But they... Oh, they're so good. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're not a fan. I'm with you. We had had baby octopus the other night. That was... uh, that was good, but they're incredibly intelligent. They are. So So I feel bad when I'm eating them, but they taste really good. (laughs) But so that was, you know, an interesting one. But for the other wolves... Um, we really want to feed them what is appropriate. Right. And so we feed them primarily a uh, whole carcass roadkill deer. Mm-hmm. And um, we do have a lot of deer um, in our area, and there's a lot of collisions on the road. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we have uh, the, the trans- uh, New York Transportation will come and actually deliver. Off. That's um, great. Oh, the okay. police, they're really help- they let us know if there's something. We've had, you know, obviously if someone has a dead deer in their yard, they're yeah. like, hey. And you'll go and <laughs> um, pick it up. Yep, we'll pick it up. Okay. We've, have, we've even had people just stop by, like in their Subaru, and we're like, oh, no, no, we're not a walkthrough. You have to register for a program. I'm like, oh, no, I just brought you a deer. And they opened the back of the deer. And I was like, oh, wow, thank wow. you. <laughs> here's okay. a calendar. Here's a calendar and a hat. <laughs> not sure how to thank you for that. But, you know, it's great. It's a real community effort. And um, Hunters donate? Know, wow. Yep, and hunters will donate. Most of the time, hunters are donating, you know, they're emptying their freezers. Right. Um, so most of that food will go to the ambassadors. Okay. We want to give whole carcass to yeah. the the critically endangered Mexican wolves and red wolves. So they they actually have those natural interactions that they would um, over a kill. So there is a hierarchy. They're going to have, you know, little squabbles, what have you. But we really want to give them as realistic and as wild a life as we can. And obviously, you know, they're not hunting deer. So that's something that's missing. But it sounds like the instincts kick in from what you're saying. They do. And just like, you know, just like a cat knows, you don't have to teach a cat how to hunt a mouse. Right. Um, but it does take practice. Um, so even when we are releasing like the Mexican wolf family I talked about, um, often U.S. Fish and Wildlife will do a supplemental feeding just to make sure to kind of get them on their feet. Um, and also they do use supplemental feeding sometimes, uh, if they feel, uh, uh, a pack has gotten too close to, um, a ranch or what have you to kind of deter them and kind of pull them in a different way. 
So the captive po- or the wild population is being managed and uh, you know watched very carefully. Um, but yeah. uh, but for the most part, it's just they're just hardwired to know yeah. what to do. How yeah. long does it take? You know, five or seven wolves to to, to break down a typical deer carcass. Days, oh, not hours. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the day. And they and you know, wolves are gorging animals, so they are. It's feast or famine. Okay. So they don't have to eat like you know three square meals a day. Right. Um, and they can eat you know probably close to twenty pounds in one sitting. Oh my mm-hmm. god! So it's funny because they'll look like skinny wolves, and then you see them later in the day, and they just have these enormous pot bellies. That's awesome. And <laughs> they get meat drunk, um, so they'll like kind of pass out. And that happens in the wild as well, and that's when it's kind of an interesting way that wolves help support the uh, the ecosystem and other other species. Is that's when the scavengers move in. So right. when wolves uh, take down an elk, they're going to eat as much as they can, take a little nap. But that's when a coyote, the, vultures, the ravens, a grizzly. You know, yeah. even yeah. the grizzly population yeah. has been really, especially with uh, um, some of the kind of natural. Um, berries and things having a harder time mm. uh, or nuts. Um, so so they're actually moving and eating a lot more meat since wolves have gotten there to deliver the goods. Oh. So that's the indirect powerful impact that wolves have being reintroduced into. I mean, they, they, yeah. it, there's a lot more going on. And the and more di- the wolf, right. right. And then the more diversity you have in an ecosystem, mm-hmm. the healthier the ecosystem. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, definitely. So, I mean, what we find that really as a keystone species, if you think of that arch that holds that, that arch in place, that yeah. stone right at the top of the arch, that keystone, it's really going to impact and, and, and have an influence on the integrity of the entire structure. Right. And uh, wolves aren't the only keystone species out there, but we're finding, you know, uh, they definitely... Uh, they're up there. They're up there, and they have had uh, a really just amazing kind of rejuvenation on the, on the landscape by... Controlling the the uh, herbivores like deer or elk, um, moving them around so they're not stationary in one place and just eating the stuff down to the ground, yeah, right. uh, and allowing plants and trees a chance to come back, cool. which of course will help uh, fight erosion along rivers yeah. and streams. So really, we've seen like a, a top down trickle down effect um, uh, wolves have had since their homecoming. Oh. And and what happens so? We've, we have dogs, and what happens with you know, the wolves here as far as vetting goes? And, like, do they have to, you know, distemper and rabies? Do they get parasites? Do they have to have heartworm? And when that stops, when they go back into the wild, does is there a chance? I mean, I guess there is, but so what do you do? Yeah, so, you know, in the wild, most of them... You know, wild animals don't have doctors for the most part. <laughs> um, and they do, you know, they're, they're tough, but, you know, they're also susceptible to a lot of the same things like distemper or parvo. Um, usually it's going to be uh, the ones that are already compromised. And in the wild, if you're already compromised, you're probably not going to last yeah. long. Mm. So um, it's usually the young. So you might have distemper or parvo go through a population and maybe there's not going to be any pups that year. Uh, mange is a big problem, uh, um. more just because not the parasites themselves, but without a coat, mm. um, you're not going to make it in the right, winter. Right, right. Um, so uh, rabies is, can wolves can catch rabies. They're not considered a, a rabies vector um, by any means. Um, but, uh, but here at the center, what we do is we do actually vaccinate. Uh, for those things. 
Um, and uh, we do, when puppies are born, we do a series of, of, of wormer mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. What was the other? Oh, heartworm. You know, heartworm's kind of new to our area. And, you know, here in the Northeast, it hasn't been as, as I guess. Prevalent as the yeah, south. As, as down as south. south. Right. But um, I'm hearing from, from, from different vet offices that they're, is a higher incidence of heartworm now in our area too. Maybe it's because it's warmer or the bugs or Ch- what have you. Yeah, change. Um, so uh, we have detected heartworm uh, before in one of our wolves, our, our Mexican wolves. Um, and so we treat, but it's hard because yeah. uh, it's, you know, they're not our doggies. Yeah, <laughs> and right. they're shy and elusive. They're right. really good at staying a wa- far, far away from us. So it's hard to do that sort of thing. But for the most part, it hasn't been too much of a problem. Uh, for heartworm. That's okay. That's great. Good to know. Wow. So once they go out into the wood, that's it. They, you're, they're kind good, of good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, depending on where they are, you know, they might be. Uh, you know, they do surveys, um, uh, population surveys uh, in the winter, or I guess January, February. Right. And uh, and they'll try to catch maybe collar some or replace a collar. Yeah. And I guess depending on what they see, maybe they'll do. Yeah. Uh, they'll go work you know. They'll, yeah, Cut do the like a workup. But uh, for the most part, no, they're pretty much on their own. Okay. Uh, what about limes? You know, we have, I think wolves can be, t- like, tested positive for lime, but really, you don't if see symptoms. Don't you don't see symptoms. I think it's, they're just Carriers. kind of yeah. built to be in Tough. the wild. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think we've bred something out of out of our dogs um, not to have that, that natural resistance. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, dogs now have all the allergies that we have, you know, yeah. like gluten allergies, yeah, really, right, like, right, right. you know, so um, I, I was able to download a um, from your website. Um, it, it's labeled on YouTube, 25, a pack of 25 wolves howling. And it looked like Atka. Um, I want to play it for you. Uh, it's a beautiful, if you haven't heard wolves howl, this, I mean, it's just absolutely magical but i wonder if you can see if yeah if you hear hear any like wolves you know so here we go in minnesota we certainly can sorry oh well (laughs) let's try this one that's a leowa oh oh wow (laughs) That's amazing. Zephyr's in there. <laughs> He's the highest pitched. They are so magical. And do they have different howls, meaning different They do. Messages. The red wolf oh yeah, definitely. Um they howl to find family, to warn right. one another of danger. Right. They use more of a bark. Okay. How like an alarm? It sounds alarm like an alarming. Alarm. Yeah. And um and red wolves tend to have a much different howl than yeah. the you know it's much more screechy and yippy, um and just you know as you can tell that all wolves have a unique yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually been studies that show there's 21 different dialects around the world. Yeah. So um yeah so I like to think also about you know our 
our wolves that get released, like our Mexican wolves. They're going to change their hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're so from New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I wonder. And we actually, we... Um, that could I be a good thing or bad thing. I mean, maybe it could be a little strange, well, right? people mm-hmm. just don't like New Yorkers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. But we can too. Good. You're a New Yorker. Yeah, give a British howl, everyone. I love uh, them. There you go. <laughs> but we actually had um, our latest release was different than all of our others. It happened um, just this spring, and uh, it was she. Basically, what they're using right now for the Mexican Wolf Recovery Program is something called the Cross Foster or Pup Foster. And what happens is, if you have a facility like us that participates in this recovery plan, um, we or program, we, uh, if we have pups born, we'll immediately call our partners at U.S. Fish and Wildlife, tell them we had pups born. Uh, How many them, in a litter? Uh, it varies. Very so, sure. you know, four to six could be okay. pretty normal okay. uh, here at least. And, um, and so, and, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is a part of the whole breeding pair. You know, they're, they're the ones that work with uh, everyone else in the management group to determine who's going to be breeding with whom. So they're already, we're already waiting, like, who's yeah, going to yeah. have pups. And then if we, uh, if you do have pups, you let them know how big the litter is. You know, if you can count them on webcam, that's great and not disturb anything because those first days are just so important to be spent with mom. Mm -hmm. Um, but if U.S. Fish and Wildlife knows of a wild pack that had pups around that same timing, then they can use this cross foster initiative. And what happens is you take pups that were born in captivity, transfer them to the wild, and insert them into this wild den. So the wild parents will embrace them and raise them as their own. Oh, wow. And, There's um, got to be a wow. few minutes of ner- nervous, happened. like, yeah. are they... I did have six, and now I've got eight. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, they say wolves can't count. I'm sure wolves can count. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But because it's, and it is, it's, it's bittersweet because you're just like, oh, you know, all the micromanagement that you're doing with all of the, even, yeah. you know, the, the arranged marriages, you know. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, really what this is all about is every wolf deserves to be wild. So any wolf that we can give that opportunity, yeah. and that's we're a, going for it. That's a nice, simple, effective way of getting them yeah, like, they grow like up from, wild. from here to there quick. Yeah, so we're pretty, we're far away. So in terms, you know, a lot, some of the facilities are in the Southwest right, or California right, right. or Midwest. So we're about as far away as you can get yeah. from Arizona. New York does not seem like the, like an hour, 45 minutes from New York City does not seem like the place you would have a wolf conservation no. and breeding center. <laughs> Do no. they travel well? Um, well, it's scary because, you know, we actually only had, um, we had a litter, uh, we had actually a litter of five. Um, one sadly passed away uh, sometime in June, we think. The, the enclosures are so vast and yeah. wild that we d- we yeah. watch on webcam, so we don't yeah. really know right. what happened with one of them. But when one of them, uh, a female, was only about 10 days old, actually about 12 days old, um, her eyes are barely opening, if at all. Um, that's when we removed her, Did got our veterinarian, did a check, and, um, and uh, flew her out uh to arizona and we actually uh we have a supporter who has a private jet that's awesome so that is style. awesome <laughs> so our curator the vet uh the pilot and the pup uh, amazing flew out west and um but there was very you know she because it was a single wolf basically um arizona and new mexico put a limit of how many pups they would allow us fish right. and wildlife to do this they had done 11 
the threshold was 12. Wow. So we're yeah. like, oh, just, just, just one. Just one. So not <laughs> even like that one to cuddle with, to no, keep right. warm. So really to keep them warm, make sure, um, you know, they're not, you know, they're not used to being bottle fed. Right. Um, so to get making sure they get, you know, this formula that we have. As soon as we get to Arizona, uh, they're met by um, Arizona Fish and Game and also U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They do another check, make sure the pup's okay, and then basically hiking out into the wilderness. Wow. And how do you um, get them in? How, how, oh. Well, normally pups or wolves are so frightened of people that the adults will actually abandon the den um, just temporarily, you know, mm, that's good. Uh, as people are approaching, <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And then the people will take the pup. They usually take the dirt, like whatever they find in the den, rub it all over. Yeah, yeah, so there's so no... it's like going to be urine and what have you. So they smell like the others stick them in and they find that the adults will accept them. Um, in this case, it was rainy, really rainy in Arizona. And, um, and the mom didn't leave the den. Oh. And um, and it was a first. Um, and this is all just, I wasn't there. Yeah. Our curator, though, yeah. I mean, yeah, she came back. <laughs> it was quite an adventure. And um, But in this den, it was kind of an outcrop, uh, like just rocks and what have you. There was kind of like a little skylight, is what they were calling it. And they could see the mom in there. They could see a litter of pups in there. Uh, and they just didn't know what to do because the Horse bomb wouldn't the leave. <laughs> so ba- that's basically no. they dropped the pup yeah, through sure. this skylight. I almost imagine, you know, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible <laughs> <laughs> coming down. And, they and were, then run. And they were able to see the little thing kind of Snuggling. stumble on over and just start to nurse. That's, so, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so, and, you know, of course, you know, we're just so excited. We, we um, gave her the name Hope. Oh, um, that's great. Because she's a hope for Mexican wolf recovery. And we really want people to think about her and like, how cool that right here in, you know, Westchester County, an hour out of New York City, a pup is born. And now... It is as wild as it can get. Yeah, and, and will yeah. she know, like, when she's a year old, like, right. there's something different about me. You know, like, what's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what will the other, she the other, my real mom. The other, the other wolves are like, say water. Water. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just really great, obviously, for, you know, the health of the Mexican wolf uh, uh, wild population and recovery. It's a great story to raise awareness and education. And we just think she's like a a North American superhero, this pop. That's like that has children's book written. Like, that seems like one of the coolest (laughs) children's books that you could do from kind of start here through the process. Yeah. and And you guys do public programs here, right? So um, we're not a walkthrough like a nature center or a zoo. Um, basically, in order to see the wolves, you have to attend one of our um, programs. So we have programs mostly on the weekends, but also throughout the week. We also have like camps and after school, and you said it, we do it. And uh, But all of our um, visitors, they're going to uh, have a, an educational portion to learn about the wolves, um, learn about the history, you know, their importance, their plight. Um, but also what we're doing here. So when they know they're going to learn, we have 50 wolves, but they'll also have an understanding of why they're not going to see all 50, uh, and also an appreciation for what they do see. So that being said, um, even though when they do up, go up to see the wolves and they'd learn more from the ambassadors, there's usually lots of howling and everything else. Um, 
they sometimes get to hear all 50. That's and old. that's, wow. that's it doesn't get old. I mean, no, it just sure. comes rolling down the hill, that's all of these voices. And it does not feel like you're in a suburb of New York City. So people can find out about this on your website? Yep. Uh, we have a calendar of all of our programming on our website, and you can actually even register right through the website. It's a great website, by the way. It's filled with a perfect amount of information and Ooh. easy to kind of access. So it's Wolf Conservation. Yep, it's Wolf org. Conservation Center, and it's nywolf.org. Yeah. So and, you can, and we'll post that with, uh, we will totally, with, with this podcast. Absolutely. Sweet, thanks. So. Absolutely. So we, we also we have Rocio that's been here too. <laughs> Rocio's been on our show before. Uh, Rocio and I have been friends for a long time, long time. Long time. And Rocio is a, she has her own practice. She's a Peruvian shaman, uh, spiritual, healer. Native just American a healer. healer. <laughs> You're just a healer. You're just a healer. <laughs> Um, and I thought, I thought it would be neat. We thought it would be neat to see the spiritual side of wolves and, and it was undeniable going up there and hearing when, actually when you called, I was like, where did you get that from? Maggie is one of the best howlers I've heard. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. I, I, I thought there was a wolf behind me. I turned around, so that was good. But what, like from the Native American point of view, Wolves are a symbol of of their teachers, powerful, uh, you know, the integrity. What, from your perspective and your own background, <laughs> yeah, what, what can you add, add to? Uh, well, it's interesting, you know, as I was listening to you, I, almost everything that you said was things that I was thinking that I could share because um, just the fact about how they, you know, this community, this sense of community, they they are like little people. They just, um, you know, they grow up, they go through the same phases that we do. They make their own pack. They go off and it just continues this cycle of life. It's constant, continuous you know, circle of life. And I don't see a difference between them. No, right. And the no. Humans, and honestly, the whole fight and flight thing, like yes. as a natural instinct yes. that we have and, yes, and they have to, but they are an, Sounds like it was for you. Um, you know, they're a power animal. They're a totem animal for some people. Um, you kind of have, you know if they are your power animal because you'll have those characteristics of the wolf. And um, you described so many of them, you know, and one of them being that they are, they're very individualistic as far as, you know, their calls, their voice. So if you have um, the spirit of the wolf in you, it could be about your speaking your voice, saying the things, you know, that are on your mind. It's um, coming into power. It's about changes. Um, there's just so many things about it. But when I was looking at, now, who was the, the wolf that we saw out there? Um, Zephyr? Zephyr. The eyes, those looking into those yellow golden eyes, it just speaks they, volumes. It and was, I'm going to send a picture. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Have it, but that was just amazing, amazing. It's a gateway to their soul. Yes. I mean, you can really, their, their eyes are just unbelievable and yeah. say a whole lot. They tell you what, they give you a lot of uh, personality of what that particular wolf is about, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool to just get from eyes. And humans are the same way. And it's literally, when I was looking at the picture at the eye, it's like looking into generation, generation, generations, just this like vortex, you know, looking into that eye. Um, 
but they are beautiful creatures. And a lot of people, I know when I'm doing journeying with people, they say, oh, I saw a wolf. And interestingly enough, people, it won't be like just you. It'll be you and you and the person down there. Um, they seem to come and it'll be the same one that they see. They'll describe them and it's, you know, the same person because, I mean, the same, see, the same person I called <laughs> <laughs> the same animal because they're having either this a similar journey in their lifetime. They're going through um, similar issues. And so, you know, you can call on the wolf to come in and help you become that leader, help you move into that role of whatever it is that you're becoming. Um, yeah. That's cool. And a healing animal as well. A healing animal, yes. Yeah. Um, have you shared the story about how you came nose to nose with oh, the when you're camping. that now <laughs> spiritual this is spiritual. that was pretty that and was pretty i was i used i worked at um Fonstock state park for many years mm-hmm. and i was out turkey hunting and apparently i was a pretty good turkey caller no turkeys came in and suddenly a turkey started big turkey came in and i was getting ready to take a shot and the turkey took off and in walks a coyote and <clears throat> i'm sitting at the base of the tree in full camouflage with a mask on and I've got my gun in my hand. And of course, speaking to other people I've had, well, why didn't you shoot him? Well, that would have been too easy. Like what, what's he going to do to me? <laughs> what's the coyote going to do to me? Well, what he proceeded to do was to walk right up to me, his nose on my nose. And he was as Northern you know, northern New England coyotes are, I mean, this was as big as a, much bigger than that, it was as big as a, a yeah. German shepherd, but it was definitely a coyote. So there's no, a wolf did not walk up to me, so it's okay. All I did was blink, and he just turned around and walked away. Oh, my God. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. So we did have, um, when we posted this, we had we had one question. Uh-oh. All right. And this is <laughs> <laughs> I'm even scared. I know. We, <laughs> we had one question. It actually came from Michelle Tell. And Michelle Tell is actually, she's, she's um, she works for, uh, she's part of Food and Beverage Magazine. So, and she had wanted to ask this question. And she was very serious about it. So her question was, a lot of people say that wolves are clairvoyant and they can tell the future. Now, I wasn't sure if that was a joke, but, you know, I kind of took it in. I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't know. And how would they tell you? <laughs> so, you know, maybe, Rocio, you could help out with that one. <laughs> have you had any, like, uh, no, experiences with that? that? Well, when you see the wolf, too, it can, they definitely mean for us, like, if you have the wolf and the wolf, you know, comes to you, it's because you are clairvoyant. Um, so that's a sign right there. Ah. But the way that spirit talks to us because since the beginning of time we've been around animals right so when we didn't have language or whatever we were um in contact with the animals so how does spirit communicate to us they're not spirit's not going to communicate to us in english like people think we we're speaking english because we speak english we're here people in china China, you know what i'm saying um but the way spirit communicates to us is through these symbols that we see like the hawks the wolf right the bear all and, of these things. And most people aren't open to seeing those things or hmm. seeing like, hey, there's an actual, you know, you're 10 minutes outside of New York City and there's a bald eagle over your head and everyone's on their phones or nobody notices yeah, it, right? Or yeah. there's a wolf. Yeah. Like those are all great signs yeah. of, of great things. Yeah. So, I, you know, um, so as far as them being clairvoyant, um, I know my father's always had stories um, 
with regards to animals. And, um, and one of them, he told me when he was little about a wolf, it's a little bit too long, but I will say that, um, it, you know, it is said that, um, those that can communicate with the wolves and, and those would be for the, you know, you're talking about the higher priests, priestesses, um, they haven't a natural capability, I guess, uh, when they're journeying or doing ceremonies to be able to communicate with the wolf, um, either through their visions or if they're in front of you through a simple gaze, like we did today, you know, in their eyes, um, and that they can see, but you know, how would you and I know off of the street? You know, right. Like, Oh, this person, Oh, he doesn't know what's coming to Right. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> so thanks, Michelle. <laughs> that was a good question. Yeah. It was, that was our only question. So, um, well, thank you so much. Oh, this oh, is really this has been yeah. incredibly educational, educational, yes. and I think uh, a so large much. portion of the population have no idea how it kind of really happens. You right. know, when they there are wolf conservation centers, but I don't think they know the the ins and outs and the real details of what you do on a day to day basis. So you know that so is come up to North Salem, New York, and. Yeah. Check it out. It's yeah. Uh, South Salem. Salem. Yep. Yep. South Salem. Salem. Check out the public programs if you're in the area. It's uh, 45 minutes from New York City. They're a great crew here. They work very hard. And um, so thank you for having us and thank you for uh, allowing us to be a part of the Wolf Pack. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> thank you. So, Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for stopping by and listening in. Check us out as well as other great podcasts at Food and Beverage Magazine's Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And remember to eat, imbibe, and dream. See you next show.